Let's pray, guys. God, we are we're grateful for our time together. We're grateful for our time with you. And even though we don't always feel your presence, we, we know that you're with us because you promised that you always would be. Your divine ability to be everywhere all the time is something to marvel. In the darkness of our world, your light shines with grace and truth. So, God, open our, the eyes of our hearts to the glory of your love. Speak your word of truth and joy. May the mystery revealed in Jesus draw us closer to you. And may the wonder of your love fill us with wisdom and with peace. And as we rejoice in your presence, God, teach us to seek justice and righteousness. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters that are hurting today. Either they're physically sick or emotionally or mentally exhausted or, or perhaps spiritually depleted. We pray for a big dose of Holy Spirit power. Just be injected into their situation so that hope and life may be experienced. We thank you for your church universal and the army of Christians that we get to serve alongside. We thank you for Cabot Church of Christ and their faithfulness to your gospel. Just empower them and protect them to do your will. And we ask the same for us, God. Just continue to reveal to us your plan, your vision, your love. And now, God, hear us collectively as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Stephen Dickinson, the lead pastor here at The Vine. And um, just want to welcome you to The Vine. Glad that you are with us today. I hope you are off to a great start in 2024. Uh, beginning a new year always brings with it a lot of hope and excitement about the future. And it's, it's interesting how my approach to a new year has changed and evolved over time and, and um, as I've gotten a little older. This may be your experience. If it's not, maybe it will be as you, as you do get a little older. But So when, when you're 12, you, know, you, you want time to pass faster. You want to be 13 because then you're a teenager, right? But then when you're um, 17... You want, it, you want to be 18 because then you're considered an adult by society. Maybe you'll be taken a little more seriously. You know, when you're 20, you want to be 21 because then you're legal, right? And then so when I was 21, I was in school, I was in college, and, and um, I wanted to be 24 because I wanted to be out of college. And so when I was 24 and had a job, I was, I was the youngest one there, and so I was a low man on the totem pole, so I wanted to be older so that I would be a little further up on, on the totem pole. Um, you, you see how this works? You see where I'm going with this? But now, everything's a little different. Um, when a new year rolls around, it's really just a reminder uh, that time is going pretty fast, and I don't have a whole lot left. Uh, and so because of that, now I spend time that I didn't used to spend thinking about impact. Am I living the life that God created me to live? Am I glorifying and, and pleasing 
my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today is what the church calls Epiphany Sunday. And Epiphany is all about those aha moments. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yep, I get it now, those moments. It's it's when a light bulb comes on. Um, And you won't find the word Epiphany in the Bible, but you will find situations, um, circumstances, instances where God reveals himself to someone and they're like, oh, I get it now, God. Thank you. You know, it, it's, it's knowing something now that you didn't know 60 seconds ago. And epiphany means um, appearance or, or manifestation or when you're, when you're speaking theologically, it's, it's divine revelation. It's when God allows us the opportunity to see him clearly and to, to gain some insight and knowledge about who he is. And, and for those uh, of, of us who are seeking God and have a heart for Christ, there's going to be moments when God reveals himself in a powerful way and it changes us. Maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, but, but change and growth and transformation will happen. And one of the main passages that the church uses for Epiphany Sunday is represented by the story of, of the, the Magi. Um, there's a, another scripture. It's when Jesus is baptized. So the baptism of the Lord is also an Epiphany Sunday scripture. But we're going to focus on the Magi this morning. So let me just read that, that text to you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So it's found in Matthew um, chapter 2, and it's verses 1 through 12. So hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah, prophet Micah here. They say, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In ancient cultures, um, uh, astrologers, they studied the, the heavens and the stars looking for signs that served for them as omens concerning the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms. This is why King Herod is so concerned here. It's why he wants to know where the Messiah is. These magi, they weren't Jewish, so they didn't worship the same deity. They didn't keep the same festivals or practice the same holy days as the Jews did. But they saw something in the stars that went ahead of them, 
guiding them to this new king that was being born. And something inside of them told them they just needed, they needed to worship him. That was God at work in their life. He was drawing them near. God was pursuing them and led them in the midst of something that they only knew in part at the time. They knew they were looking for a new king, a, a ruler who would rule with wisdom and justice and righteousness. They just didn't know that it was Jesus yet. In our Wesleyan and, and Methodist tradition, uh, we call this, what God is doing here, a prevenient grace. It's the grace of God that goes ahead of us. The belief that the, the holy love of Jesus is being poured out on all people, guiding them to the heart of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, even if they're not aware of it. And so, so this, was, this was God orchestrating this whole scene here. We don't know much about these guys. You know, we, we really don't even know how many there were. Um, tradition suggests there were three because that was the number of gifts that were, were given. Um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there, there could have been ten or twelve or, or more. We don't know. We just... Uh, we don't know what they did for a living. We don't know if they were rich or poor, but given the value of the gifts that they gave, we're going to assume that they were uh, men of, of great wealth and probably great social standing. Uh, we don't know anything about their religious practices. We know they weren't Jewish. Um, they came from the east, which is now Iraq. And back then it would have been Babylon and then, and then Persia. Um, so there's just a lot that we don't know about them. But there's a few things we do know. Uh, we know that they had put their trust in the words of the prophet Micah, who said that a child would be born in Bethlehem, who would be the ruler over Israel and shepherd for God's people. We know that they were uh, following a star just on faith. You know? And I'm sure that their, their families uh, thought they were a little crazy when they started out. And you can kind of hear the conversation right now. So where are you guys going well, we don't, we don't really know. All right. Well, how long are you going to be gone? Don't know. We, we don't know that either. Okay. So if you don't know where you're going, how long are you going to be gone? Which direction are you going to take off, you know, when you get your bags packed? Well, we're just going to follow that star right there. All right. Good luck. You know, we'll see you. I mean, their journey really, when you think about it, is really symbolic of a follower of Jesus Christ. If we submit our lives to the will of Christ, we have no idea where it's going to take us. And that's exactly what they did. They were just simply going to worship a newborn king. And that's all we really know for sure. But despite our limited knowledge of these guys, there really is something that we can learn from this story and from them. Um, but they're, they're called wise for a reason. As with any faith, there is this, this desire that the, the personal investment that one puts into it, right, that there's going to be some sort of payoff at the end. In, in the business world, it's referred to as an ROI, return on investment. Uh, it's a calculation of the value of an investment versus its cost. Is it worth it? And when it comes to, to worship, a lot of people take this approach. Is it, is it worth it? And we all worship something. I mean, that's just what we were created to do. And since we were created to do this, then we're going to find things to give our time and our attention and our resources and our money to. And, and for some, it's, 
it's Deer Woods or it's a golf course or it's a career or it's your favorite sports team. For others, it's shopping or social media or it's a, your, your own public image. I mean, we're, we're willing to give ourselves away to these things if we think it's worth it. And so God is competing for the affections of our heart with all of this worldly stuff out there. But if we'll just... If we'll just give him some time, if we will just seek his presence, he will reveal himself to us and it will change your life. And once you have a revelation of God, or in in other words, once you have a personal encounter with the spirit of the living God, then you will start investing in the things of God with your time, your attention, your resources, and your money. It is a, a complete priority shift. And things that used to be important to you will no longer be important to you. Because your values have been turned upside down. Because you had an encounter with the living God. In the case of the wise men or the magi here, their entire trip really is summed up in verse 10. Where it it says, when they saw the star and then it had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. See, they knew that the moment had come for the payoff. When the star stopped, they, they were like, all right, here comes the return on investment. They had been seeking the Christ child, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And now their faith was about to be realized. See, the story of the Magi, it concludes by stating that they had, they had gone home another way. Because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This also is symbolic of of somebody who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. Because you see, once the the Magi saw the face of Christ, it changed everything for them. They were no longer the same people who had left their distant home. They would return home. They would just return home a different way, with a different outlook on life, a different understanding of God and one another. They now understood the world differently differently. Christ has that effect on us. We don't know what effect they had on their family, on their friends, on their uh, circle of influence when they returned home. Um, But we can safely assume that their experience of God in Jesus changed everything. That was really the whole point, I believe, of God drawing them to himself from across the country. They, they would return with the good news. So, in a sense, the Magi became the revelation of God to the people living in the East. John 1.18 says, that even though we've never seen God, Jesus revealed to us who God really is. So, what was invisible, Jesus made visible. And when you think about it, that's really what we're supposed to be doing as his followers. We're supposed to make God visible to those who have never seen him. And you can wordsmith that however you want to, but that really is the mission and the ministry of the church. So how do we do that? How do we make Christ known to the world? One uh, scholar of early church history writes this. The church was attractive to non-believers because it made the ancient world a lot more bearable. What Christians did was take care of each other. 
The early church thrived by manifesting the love and the light of God to their pagan neighbors. For example, Christians did not practice abortion or infant sacrifice or sex outside of marriage. They were multi-ethnic communities across socioeconomic spectrums. They practiced charity and they refused to seek revenge, instead just forgiving wrongs against them. And to cities that were filled with homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. You may have heard the propaganda, even bought into the propaganda that Christianity is antiquated, it's outdated, it's irrelevant, and it is dying. That is our spiritual enemy that's just trying to deflate any excitement that you might have about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because Christianity is exploding around the world. In Latin America, Africa, Asia, some of the most populated places on the planet, Christianity's exploding. God is doing exactly what he said he would do. It's just that here in America, we got a little cocky. And so as Christianity kind of trends downward, really all that means is that we get to shine our light a little brighter. The opportunities to share the love of Christ are abundant. The laborers may be fewer, but the harvest has never been more ripe. And it's, many Christians today, they wonder, you know, how, how the church can respond and thrive in a post-Christian culture. Well, I, I think we can take our cues from the early Christians who, who thrived in and engaged their pre-Christian culture by caring for the vulnerable, by being committed to biblical ethics and morals, by loving and serving our neighbors. See, once you have an encounter with Jesus, whether it's through prayer or scripture reading or worship or some personal experience, whatever that manifestation of God looks like, then you've got to make a choice. And that choice is whether you are going to remain the same person that you were before you met him, or are you going to allow him to transform your life? If you allow the change to take place, then you become a new creation, and you cannot return to the old creation. You just can't do it. You've seen too much. The Magi physically, and we're going to assume spiritually, they didn't return home the same way, right? They chose not to return and, and uh, tell Herod where the Christ child was. Instead, they listened to God, and they allowed their faith to be fulfilled, and it changed everything. The interesting thing about Jesus is that once certain things are revealed to you from a faith standpoint, from a God standpoint, then you can no longer not know it, because now you know it. It's been revealed, and then you, you've got to deal with with that revelation, changes have to be made. The question is, what changes are you willing to make? What do you need to do? What do I need to do to be more responsive to God's call on my life? Am I willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? 
Will I allow myself to get out of my comfort zone for the kingdom of God on earth? The Magi, who were not even Jewish, they responded to the grace of God to go find Jesus. They packed it all up, and they left their home and their family and their friends just to go track down Jesus. And listen, the journey was so long that when they took off, he was an infant, and when they found him, he was a child, he was a, he was a, I don't know how old he was, they, they say two or three, so a, a child, right? It was 900 miles is the estimate on foot to do this, it didn't just take faith, it took faith in action, it was costly. And as a result of this action, at the end of this long journey, they didn't just find Jesus. They encountered the living God. Their faith was fulfilled. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of people that, that, that say that they're Christian and they, and they do all of the right things, but they're, they're still empty on the inside and they don't know why, right? Maybe you've experienced that season in your life. Maybe you're dealing with that right now. I mean, we all have a desire to, to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but sometimes we can't figure out why it's not happening. Because we want it and we pray for it. But it might be, it might be because our faith is just not being fulfilled. And it's not being fulfilled because we are not doing anything in response to our encounter with Christ, thus leaving this big hole inside of us that we try to fill with all kinds of things. And I think we would find that if we would just respond, just do it, just respond to Christ, then we would find our faith fulfilled. And that hole that we have, that emptiness, it would disappear, and contentment and joy would take its place. I think it's fair to say that God is doing something in your life right now that requires some type of response. That's how God works. And, and you may already be responding to that activity, but on the other hand, you might not be doing anything other than just thinking about it. And you're thinking things like, well, this is just kind of crazy. I, I can't drop what I'm doing, right, and go be a missionary somewhere. I can't quit my job and become a, a minister or a pastor. I, I can't volunteer to work with the poor and the homeless. I can't, I can't stand on the street corner with a, a sign, you know, protesting the social injustices of the world, people might think that I'm, I'm crazy. Kind of like people thought the Magi were nuts. There, there was nothing reasonable or rational about their journey. It was simply a faith thing. And one of our, one of our biggest challenges as Christians is that we, we're stuck in this mold that is it's defined by our society. And we're scared that if we step outside the cultural norm that we're somehow going to be ostracized or we're going to be kicked out of the club or we're going to be looked down upon or we're going to lose our friends. And the truth is, you might. You just might. It happened to Jesus. It happened to his apostles. There's really no reason to think that it won't happen to us. Following Jesus isn't easy. George Bernard Shaw said, the reasonable person adapts themselves to the world. That makes sense. The reasonable person adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable person 
persist in trying to adapt the world to themselves. And then he says, therefore, all progress depends on unreasonable people. Listen, if, if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to have any positive impact on the world in which we live, then we must be willing to respond to what God is calling us to do. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you've included us in this beautiful story of redemption. That we have second chances and more opportunities and and you're constantly revealing yourself to us in many ways. And sometimes our, our, our minds are so clouded that we don't, we don't see it. And our to-do list is so long, we don't do anything but that, just our to-do list. And so, God, I, I pray that as we, as we ease on into 2024, that you allow us to think more clearly about you and your kingdom. That we set time aside for you. We spend time in prayer and meditation and reading and studying your word so that you can change us. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as those magi traveled, they carried that message with them. And it can continue to spread and to grow. And that's what we find ourselves here doing. You know, it's on these Sundays where we get to celebrate Holy Communion together because 